This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. The message has not changed, but the messaging is changing, and that's where we've got to lean in. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to The Church Lobby, conversations on faith and ministry. My guest in this episode is Sally Guillory. She's the author of YouTube Strategy for Churches, a practical guide for your church to reach more people through YouTube. In this episode, Sally and I talk about some really practical ideas for how to use the world's biggest platform and the world's second largest search engine. Yeah, YouTube is the world's second largest search engine to help people find the answers to life and faith that they're looking for. Sally has a wealth of experience and a hands-on practical way of explaining it, and she has a passion to reach people for Jesus that you're going to get so much out of. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Welcome, Sally. It is good to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Carl. So glad to be here with you today. You are a brand new neighbor of mine. You just moved to Orange County, just a few miles south of where I am. So we are on Zoom, but we're just only a few miles apart today. Yes. No, I'm so glad to be here and enjoy this beautiful weather with you. Yeah. And you moved here from where? I was previously in New York City the last few years, originally from Louisiana. So I've been in Louisiana the last couple of months before I came to California. Okay. Yeah. So it's definitely different different weather from New York. Yeah. And, and <laughs> totally. far less humid than Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about both New York and Louisiana. If you're going to get heat, you're going to get the humidity too. Here you get the heat without, and that makes a big difference. For sure. For sure. I'm a fan of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, hey, I'm and I'm a fan of yours. You sent me your ebook uh, about a YouTube strategy for churches boy, several months ago, and it was one of those, you know, kind of goes in the stack kind of things. But of course, it is a topic of great interest. And when I did finally read it a few weeks ago, I went, oh, "Okay, I'm going to have her on the podcast because so much of what you talk about in this book is really applicable and is so practical, especially for the smaller churches that we're typically speaking to." Uh, I know you come out of a of a big church context. In fact, your current position now is you just started as what? Just started at Saddleback Church um, as the communications director. So yeah, quite a large church, but it's been great, man. Uh, I'm excited. Just all the awesome things God's been doing, and just just some a lot of great vision of what you know where the church is going. Yeah, it was so strange for me because I got a hold of you having written this book that really applies to small churches and YouTube. And I get a hold of you and you go, yeah, <laughs> by the way, I just got hired by Saddleback. And I went, that's a little bigger church than we're usually used to talking about. <laughs> but of yeah, course, that's totally. part, part of what my ministry is all about is helping to build those bridges between big and small and what small can learn from big, what big can learn from small, we can what we can learn from each other. And this, it's an ebook, right? It's not, in, is, yeah. is it in print at all? Because I only got the ebook version. 
No, we know no print, all ebook. And part of that is really just there's a lot of resources that I tried to put in there that people just clickable links that you can click and watch other YouTube videos that are helpful, yeah. links to articles, links, links to idea generators, just to make it a real practical resource for churches. Yeah, and it very much is. So, so let's get right to it. Because first of all, let's get some basics down for everybody. Why does the video matter? And why of all the video options is YouTube so important? Tell us about that. Yeah, Carl, I think video is just so big. I mean, over, I think the last stat I saw was 1.7 billion people were on YouTube la just last month alone. And so wow. 1.7 billion with a B. And so Every single person we talk about in church all the time, the people we want to reach, meet them where they are. Well, they are on YouTube. So there's no better opportunity to reach them there. And I mean, the statistics will tell you it's all ages. The lowest percentage of people on YouTube is 67%. And that's 65 years old and older. And that's still, I mean, think about it. That's Still almost 70% of the people yeah, yeah. are on YouTube and it is the second largest search engine only behind Google. And the interesting thing, Carl, is Google actually owns YouTube. So Google's not looking at YouTube as a competitor. Google's going, yeah. oh, wow, let's elevate them and we can both be right there. And so people are going to YouTube to get questions answered. And so why not use that to put that people have questions about faith or questions about God. Uh, so YouTube is just such a great resource to help people meet and meet them right where they are. And when they're on, the amount of time they're spending on average, you've got it in the book. How high is that? Yeah, there's some people that are, I won't say the number, it's, it's way too high on a daily basis. Yeah. But the average person, um, statistics tell us now, is spending between 16 and 18 hours a week watching video content. And maybe not all of that's on YouTube, but uh, YouTube is up to eight to, to 10 hours a week watching video content. Yeah, it really is an extraordinary amount of time. And like you say, if, if we're talking about the marketplace and going where the people are, this is where people are. It used to be out at the mall and it's just not where people are spending the bulk of their time. That's not where their attention is anyway. Even when they go, it's only because they've got to try something on. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right, that's right. My, my, my wife and I were in Home Depot yesterday for the first time in maybe over a year. I just, you know, we just order it online and never go. And yeah. Home Depot now has demonstration stations that I'd never seen before where you can physically try the thing. Like you can try the leaf blower you can pick up this particular stuff that you never used to be able to try before because they know what's the advantage of physically going there. Well, if I know I can physically try that product when I'm in the store, that's something I can't do online. So that's that's another lesson for another time yeah. for churches. What are we doing in person that they can't do online? That's right. That's the scramble that's happening. But let's talk about the issue of YouTube. So you see, it is the second largest search engine, which means it is the place a lot of people go primarily so they're not Googling something and ending up on YouTube, although that happens a lot. But the second mm -hmm. most popular way is they just go to YouTube and use it as the engine to search for things. Like one of the big things is the how to do it video, right? If you don't know how to do something, it's become a verb, YouTube it, right? That's right. You know, it's funny. When I was in New York City, I didn't have a car. So coming to California, obviously I need a car. So I have a car down and just yesterday, my trunk would not open. Like I couldn't get it open. I didn't, there was nothing stuck or anything. So I literally picked up my phone, went to YouTube <laughs> and said, what do you do when your trunk is un 
trunk is stuck and I put my car right. year, car name. And I mean, there's hundreds of videos oh, yeah. that people, hundreds, and they said, pop it, whatever. And it's, you know, guys are filming it on their phone and I got the solution. Like, that's what we do when we need the answers. Like you said, it's yeah. become a verb. And so what a better opportunity. I mean, in the book, I think I listed probably 40 or 50 different how-to type videos that you can create for your church and for your people. Yeah. People are hungry. They want to go deeper with God. They want to learn more. And I think Oftentimes, though, we just don't do a great job of giving them those resources or those opportunities. So if they already statistics are telling us they're already on YouTube, statistics are telling us they know how to use YouTube. You're not asking them to go to this weird website that you built or whatever. Go to YouTube. It's something that everybody knows about. And we can yeah. show them on there. Just like I couldn't get my trunk open. I went, how to get my trunk open? If someone's going, how do I read the Bible better? How do I go deeper in the scriptures? If I read first John this morning and I don't understand what they're saying, let me go in and what does this mean in first John? And just giving them a platform or YouTube is a platform that we can begin to help people learn and understand and search for and give them answers for things that they're searching for. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the reality of it. I mean, something as niche and I'll even use the word petty as how do I get my trunk open? I wouldn't even yeah. have thought there's going to be even an answer, but there were, like you said, hundreds. Hundreds. So people aren't just standing behind their the, the trunk of their car like you were saying, how do I figure out how to open my trunk? They're at home at night feeling sad and going to YouTube and in the YouTube search that's line right. are putting in, why am I sad all the time? That's right. They're, they're literally asking questions of that type, not in Google to go to YouTube, although like you say, they're the same thing, but in YouTube itself. So if we aren't there to answer those questions, there will be hundreds of other videos trying to answer that question from a non-Christian standpoint. So if we don't at least give them a Christian alternative, they're only going to get non-Christian alternatives, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, but I would encourage people, if you're listening to this, YouTube some of those questions right now, and you'll see it's people, unfortunately, it's a lot of people who are going there with agendas and just, and like you said, uh, non-Christian, and they're putting their own worldviews that are not biblically based. And so it's our job as church leaders and pastors just to give people answers to the questions that they're asking, give them a biblical worldview. And like you said, you know, how am I, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm sad. All, I mean, we know we're in an epidemic of loneliness. We know that. And part of it, like you said, I mean, you guys haven't been to Home Depot in a year and obviously, you know, you've got a, you've got a great faith life and you're surrounded by great people, but there's a lot of people who aren't. And there's a lot of people who, when they go to a play, they're still stuck at home. So let's give them answers to those questions to help them. And then the best part about that is as we're giving them answers, we're hoping and praying and believing that, like you mentioned earlier, that those questions were leading them to an in-person experience at our churches or our small groups or whatever that next step that we're asking people to take is. Yeah, that leads really into, I think, one of the primary pushbacks that we get when we talk about using YouTube or anything online to present a Christian worldview to, or even simply to live stream services or something. And it's like, well, no, we don't want them there. I, I, I talk to pastors on a regular basis with their attendance down since COVID, for instance, and a really regular response I get back from them is, well, they're not coming in person. They're just watching online right now. And my answer is always, if they're not coming in person, they're not watching online either. That's not where your competition is. That's not the issue here. And the way you put it in the book, I think very 
concisely and well is online is not the opposite of real. Online is the opposite of physical. Walk us through what that means, because that I think is a really concise way of stating this issue. That's right. So I think Craig Rochelle said this, that coming out of the pandemic, we've got to be able to be 100% online and 100% in person. It's not either or, it's both and. And like you mentioned, at the Home Depot example is a great example. There are some things you are going to buy online, but then there's going to be other things you're going to have to go into that store for. And like you said, you went yesterday now and you realize you can try out your tools. You're more likely to go back in person yep. at another time Absolutely. over the over the next year. So as a church, there's going to be some things that people are only going to get online. It might be the devotionals. It might be, for some people, it may only be sermons, whatever. But we've got to give them an opportunity in person as well and make our in-person experience so community-based that they're willing to, I mean, you would probably know the statistics better than me, but before COVID, I think it was practicing Christians. The Barna study said we're going to church 1.7 times a month. That's practicing Christians. Like yeah. that's people who are committed to follow Jesus. They are going to heaven. Their eternity is secure. And they weren't even going two times a month. So the, the non-Christians, the, the, the people we're trying to reach, they're definitely not going. And coming out of the pandemic, those statistics are probably a lot lower. We can't ignore it. We can't say, oh, they're not coming. So I'm going to just ignore that. That means that you're saying that three-fourths of the people that are not coming to your church, we're just going to ignore them and not give them an opportunity to come to know Jesus. Like, that's just right. not the reality. That's not what we're called to do. Uh, I think it's uh, Winky Pratty, the great evangelist, said that all forms of evangelism work if God is in it. If God is in your YouTube strategy, it will work. And it's a way to lead people to Jesus. And then prayerfully, we're, we know your church is not the answer. Jesus is the answer, but Jesus uses the church to help grow people and take them on their walk spiritually. And so I think so often, like you said, I, I face the same thing. Pastors and church leaders are going, I don't want to stream. I don't want to put on YouTube. And I want to remind everybody that YouTube and technology is not the enemy. We have a real enemy. <laughs> the enemy is the devil. And the devil will do anything to keep people away from learning and understanding about the love of Jesus. We have the greatest message in the whole world, the gospel, the good news to share. And if our trust is not in YouTube, we're not going, well, YouTube is the answer. No. The Holy Spirit will use YouTube to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. But I think that it would be foolish of us to ignore a, an opportunity like YouTube. But there's billions of people on it. Why would we not use that? Like you said, if I walk in a coffee shop and I start up a conversation and it and the Holy Spirit's guiding it and leading it and I have an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, my goodness, of course I'm going to do that. Then I think yeah. if YouTube's the same thing, if I have an opportunity to do that, that is not the enemy and it's not opposite of real. Like what's if I'm sharing Jesus through my YouTube screen or sharing Jesus in a Starbucks, I'm still sharing Jesus. <laughs> and yeah, I think yeah. that's something that's what we have to keep in mind. Yeah. We've talked about this, you know, this is where the audience is. This is where people are producing content to get into people's heads and hearts. So if we're not there in that marketplace, at least they're not even, even going to see a Christian alternative. Now from that reality, let's, take the next step, which is what you address really well in your book, some of the practical things. How then in that massive marketplace, the biggest marketplace that's ever existed with more ideas available at a heartbeat than has ever been available anywhere, 
how do we stand out among that crowd? The problem used to be that there were gatekeepers that told us, no, you can only put something on television if you've got this much quality and if you get approval from this producer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with books. Same, there were gatekeepers That's for right. all of these things. So only a minimal amount of content got put out in books or got put on television or got put on the radio. Now it's exactly the opposite. With no gatekeepers, there's way too much content. So yes, it's easy to put our stuff on there, but it's really hard to get noticed. And especially for our primary listeners who are coming from a small church context, who don't have the heft of a saddleback, who don't have a tech team, who are trying to figure out, like I was trying to figure out, trying to get online with you to do the podcast. <laughs> How do I figure out what Zoom is doing here? Zoom is not working for me today. It's telling me that I'm already on there, but I'm not. And I had to figure it out myself. So speaking to the average pastor of the average small church who doesn't have a tech team, you do walk through some very, very practical tools, things to think about that until you bring them up in the book, I hadn't thought about. As an example, you start by outlining some real basic elements. You walk through six things, the profile picture, the banner, the about section, the welcome video, the playlist, and the channel tags. Is there any of that that you can walk us through some understanding of in an audio format uh, in the short time that we've got that would kind of be a quick help for the small church pastor to go, oh, I didn't even think about what that means and how that impacts people. Yeah, I mean, Carl, you're exactly right. That's the beauty of the kind of web 2.0 world we're in now is that, like you said, everybody does have an opportunity to share their content, whereas before we were held out. And even just it's really exciting, just some of the things where we're going in Web 3.0 and even giving more power to creators and, you know, people trying to get their work out there. But it does create some barriers of, yeah, there is sometimes information overload. And I think we saw during COVID, content was not really a problem, but it was the the messaging of the content or the, the delivery of the content that kind of became the problem for most churches and for a lot of people in a lot of industries. And I think just some simple practical things that churches can do is number one, it's basic marketing 101. Focus on the customer. Who is the customer? It's our audience. It's the lost people that we're trying to reach. And instead of creating content that we think is important or is important to our church, let's ask the question of what is important to these lost people. And, you know, we're never going to water down the message of Jesus, but even Jesus himself, I mean, Paul did it all through the book of Romans. He's all of Paul's letters were addressed to meet people's needs specifically right where they are. And so you can do a, you can get on Google and search. What are people asking about? What questions are people asking about God? Simply ask the people in your congregation. If you have 100 people in your church, get them to fill out a short survey of what's stopping people from coming to church. Why do you not invite your friends? What is the number one complaint you hear from your friends of why they don't come to church? What stopped you from church? You as a Christian, what are your questions? What do you want to know more about? And then we take those surveys, and it doesn't even have to be a formal survey. When you run into someone in Starbucks, when you run into your neighbor that doesn't come to your church, ask those questions. Hey, you know, what, what are you doing on Sunday? Oh, my kid has a soccer game. Have you ever thought about going to church? Oh, no, we don't do that. I grew up in a church where blah, 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 whatever their answers are. And then you take your cell phone and you go in your front yard and you film a three-minute video that addresses that exact concern that they have. And then you can post that on YouTube right there. And then when you're done, you send them, you text them a link and you go, hey, man, 
I know we talked about that. I just wanted to share this with you. Feel free to share it with people. Your best delivery mechanisms are going to be the people that you know, your congregation. And when you film those little videos, you're giving them a chance to share it. That person in your congregation may not be able to explain how, why we receive communion or may not be able to explain salvation, may not be able to explain these things. But if you can do it in a short video, you're equipping your people with the tool to go out and share that they, because they can send those YouTube links so easily to people. I mean, the best marketing in the world, the greatest marketing is still the, the personal invitation. We know that. I mean, we just saw that as Easter. Guaranteed, if you surveyed new people, 80% of them came from a personal invitation, not because they saw a billboard of your church or not because they saw this yeah. amazing ad or commercial. And so I think that's practically the biggest thing is that I would say is let's address the needs that people have, not what our church wants to share, not about the women's night next week, not about the youth night, but just those questions that people have about faith in God and then putting the pressure on, not the pressure, that's a bad word, but putting the onus on your congregation and the people that are already followers of Jesus that go, I want to reach more people. Awesome. Hey, share this content. It can be so practical. Filming these videos, and you can do that on your phone. I mean, everybody has a cell phone nowadays. That's what strikes me about what you're talking about here right now. It is so organic and so simple and so not low tech, it's high tech, but it's organic is the best term. I'm going to come back to that. So you're so what yeah. you just described, just I'm pulling this through my own head right now. So as a pastor, a church member has a difficult spiritual question. I sit down and have that conversation. Then I literally just sit there in my office or in my car or in my backyard with the phone that's already in my pocket. And I do a, hey, this question was just asked of me. You make it obviously generic enough that you're not going to be you know, spilling anybody's secrets and you're going to keep confidentiality. Right. But, but the basic spiritual or emotional question is a fairly universal question, probably. Here's the answer I gave. You put it up on YouTube. And now an answer that you know people are asking because someone asked you is now on YouTube. And here's the challenge, I think, for, for a lot of us in small churches, the fact that it's done in my own hand, from my own phone, in my own backyard or in the car is not a negative. It is in fact a that's positive right. because it is much more immediate. Yeah, that's right. Some of the best performing videos, those are authentic. People would rather authentic than produced. You don't need a five-man camera setup. You don't need, I mean, look at the rise of TikTok. 90% of videos on TikTok these days are just made on cell phones. They're not made with big cameras. They're not made, and sure, if you have access to those things and you can do all this, I mean, you can do that. And there's some, you know, I work at a large church. Even we don't do that for all everything. It's not necessary sure. because that's the world, the world that we live in now is so instant. So I have my cell phone. I have the, like you said, we have, we control the power of the content. People like that. People love, I mean, some of the best content that you can do that I've seen pastors and church leaders is that personal stuff. I mean, I, I was watching a pastor a few months ago. He dropped his kids off at school, was sitting in his car, even showed a little bit. He didn't show the name of the school and all that. But he said, hey, I just dropped my kids off at school. And I just want to share with you, these are the three things that I pray over my kids every day. I hope that maybe this helps you or whatever. And then some people in his church kind of started sharing and it went viral on Facebook. 
because people want, I mean, there's, I don't know stats of how many parents in the world, but there's a lot of parents and a lot of parents want the best for their kids. So whether you're a Christian or not, if these prayers you feel like will help you and your kids, you're going to try them. And those people who watch that video may never step foot in the church, but they can still pray those prayers over your children. And we believe that, and we're believing that the Holy Spirit would even use that and take people further on that journey and maybe even searching for more videos. <laughs> yeah. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So now, probably most of the pastors who are listening right now, maybe the only thing their church does is to put a static camera view of their church service up on YouTube. That's probably the primary way that they're doing it. You're opening up the idea that there are other ways to do so. And in fact, some of these other ways have strengths that the sermon doesn't have. So, because in the book, you say that it's not that the sermon isn't the best way or isn't a wrong way of putting things on YouTube. It's simply not the only way. It is one of many ways that we should be using YouTube. Given that the sermon is one of the primary ways that the, the people who are listening are doing this, what would you say are one or two tips that you would suggest to the typical church that's putting their sermon up on YouTube about how to do a better job of that than maybe some of the common mistakes that you've seen? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the sermon, sure, if you're recording the sermon every week, it's great content. Um, and there's tons of ways to repurpose it, you know, so you can get more out of it than just that hour. And I think one of the big things, Carl, is even just the title of the sermon. I've worked with a team before and they're just so great at taking the title and just reworking it for SEO searches, search engine optimization and figuring out what words. And now there's so many and I have some of these links in there, but there's AI uh, websites and chat GBT and you can type in what's a great sermon title for a message on love that's SEO friendly and you'll get some options. There's, I even have a link in the book of like, you can type in a, a topic that you're preaching on and it'll list like 20 names of sermons that you can try. Like even just a little thing like that helps when people search for your sermons or search for topics, your sermon has a better chance to come up. Secondly is if you preach a 40 minute sermon, 
clipping out two to three minute clip that you think is most impactful. You can share that on all your social media channels. YouTube has something called YouTube Shorts, which is basically it's short video content. Short video content is really, that is where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck. Whether you're posting an Instagram reel, whether you're posting a YouTube short or a TikTok video, we live in a microwave generation like world. Like, I mean, our attention span is, I think I read the other day, goldfish have like a seven second attention span. I think we're down to six. So um, (laughs) if you can get that content just in a short little thing and get people watching it, number one, because think about it, when you're in line at Home Depot or line at Starbucks, or unfortunately, even people when they're waiting in traffic, what are they doing? They're just looking and scrolling for the on their phone for those quick hitters. So if you can hit them with that one to two minute clip from your sermon, and to me, honestly, if I'm choosing and I had to choose, I would post a two minute clip over posting the whole sermon. Because if I can get people into that two minute clip, then in the description on YouTube, you can give them next steps. You can go, hey, if this was enjoyable to you, click, you may like this video and you can send them to more of your sermons. Or if this was enjoyable to you, if you're preaching on your finances, you give them a one minute clip on budgeting and what the Bible says about that. And in your description on YouTube, when you post that, you can say, Hey, if you want some help on budgeting, our church offers Wednesday night, small groups on this or financial peace class or whatever it is, you can lead people. I think that's an underutilized things that we don't use on YouTube is that description part. Um, And the great thing about it, unlike any other social media channel, like Instagram, you can't put links in your captions. YouTube, you get all your captions of videos. You can put clickable links so you can direct people where you want them to go. You can even yeah. put a link back to your website on there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, one of the things that your book does really well, uh, and we will be putting links to your book so people can find it and, and go through it for themselves, is that you walk through really practical steps about how to do every one of these things that you're talking about. Yeah. Because for the average yeah. small church pastor, again, who doesn't have a tech team, you know, I can see some of them just kind of like getting a little bit overwhelmed <laughs> in, in what you're saying. Right. Because how, I don't even know how, I, how to upload the thing to YouTube by myself yet. And you want, how do I cut it and clip it and title it? And I don't, and you walk yeah. through it. And as the book goes along, it gets deeper and more complicated so that the people who do have a tech team, the entire tech team can sit down with your book and can learn That's new right. stuff from the halfway point on that really gets into some very, you know, highly technical stuff, but very practical ways of doing it. But the average pastor who just needs a couple tips at the, you know, first half of the book is going to be able to get some of those things. One of the things you just mentioned that's really important is titling. When I started this ministry a little over 10 years ago, I read uh, back then it was Michael Hyatt. He was the big guy on, on all this stuff. And he talked a lot about titling stuff. And I didn't take it seriously at first. And then I started realizing, well, if I really want people at the time, it was primarily the the blog was the big was the big thing, not the video. Mm-hmm. And if I want people to read my blog, which I still you know write, but not as often, I need a title that's going to catch their attention because we all know how quickly we scroll through those titles. And as I started reading the reasons why people stop at a particular title, I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And lo and behold, it worked. I was titling my stuff according to the research that I'd done, not according to the person who was reading the title. And when I changed the title to take into account the person who was scrolling through a hundred (laughs) titles, more people paused at my title, but it didn't change the content one bit. It just simply caught more people to bring into the net 
to hear the content and it's the same for video. So in fact, here's something we're going to do when we, when you and I are done, we're going to take five or 10 minutes and do some bonus content. And we're going to talk through your six tips on how to write better titles for your church's YouTube videos. So it doesn't even change the content at all. It just simply thinks through the title from the watcher's standpoint, not from the creator's standpoint, because that's what the title is. The title isn't for the guy who created the content or for the woman who created the content. Right. Created the title is for the person we want to bring into the content. And there are some real key things to that that are really important, including that's what right. fits on YouTube. <laughs> and simple yeah, things yeah. Like that. So, yeah, so anybody who's not subscribing or sponsoring, if you subscribe to my uh, weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday, if you do this for her content within four or five days of this podcast coming out, you will get it in the in the uh, newsletter the following week, uh, exclusive content for subscribers and sponsors. So you can get that. We'll talk through that at the end. Uh, but before we kind of start bringing it in soon for the lightning round, just one other kind of quick thing. For the typical solo pastor with no tech help, are there uh, one or two starter ideas that you would kind of say to encourage? Here are a couple ways to, because we've talked a lot of kind of the philosophical ideas behind it and why we're doing it, which is really important to, yeah. set, to set that up. But are there one or two typical kind of technical things about how to hold the camera, where to do it, how to use a mic. I don't even know what it is. I'm just throwing out some generic things. Yeah, yeah. To the typical solo pastor who doesn't have a tech team, what are some quick tech tips that might get them go, oh, I can try that the next time I shoot something for, for YouTube? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, number one, I think audio is huge. People will watch a video with maybe not the best video coverage as long as the audio is good. But if the audio is rough, they will shut it off. I mean, I listen to podcasts all the time and I will, if the audio starts getting whatever bad and shaky, I, I'm not, I can't sit through that. It's just painful. You know, the best way to record audio. I mean, you can buy a $50 mic or you can simply put in your earphones or your AirPods and hook it up to your phone. That's such a cheap way to do it. And then for the camera work, I mean, you don't, if you're filming on your iPhone, you can buy a table stand tripod. I saw them on Amazon the other day for $19.99. Set your phone up on that tripod. If you're sitting in a chair, you're sitting in your morning chair, doing your devotional time, you can put that phone on a tripod and record yourself. So you don't need someone to hold it, that their hands are not going to be shaking. It's just as simple as that. You don't need a full camera set. Lighting is obviously important. Um, if you can use natural light, that's great. So if you're outside, just being cognizant of like, you don't want harsh lighting. You don't want that light, bright, bright, bright shine, sun shining on you. So I think, I mean, you've heard this in, you know, the golden hour, kind of a sunset's mm -hmm. gone or sunrise is coming. Those are the best times to film. But honestly, you know, that stuff is, again, all secondary. I think sometimes those best videos, if your content is really good and not even really good, if your content is helpful. If you're helping people with your content, they don't care about how good your background is. They don't care if you're using the greatest, latest camera, or if you're just really genuinely helping them with something. They're willing to, like my video I watched of the guy fixing his trunk. The video was terrible, but it was only a minute and a half and it helped me fix my trunk. So I was exactly. so grateful. I could care less what kind of camera he used or anything like that. Those are just kind of some little practical things. But I would say this too, Carl, is just encouragement to pastors and leaders is that 
there's people in your church that know how to do this stuff. And if you can find one or two people who are excited about this, you're giving them an opportunity to serve. And you know this, um, you've been serving church leaders and helping church leaders for a while now. And you know this, that there maybe 10, 15 years ago, maybe that wasn't true. But nowadays, there's a lot of people in churches who understand technology. They work in the mm-hmm. technology field. They're maybe they're Generation Z. They grew up with this. And so this is native to them. They're native tech people. Yeah. And so even I tried to, in this book, share these practical tips that, Pastor, if you can't do it, find someone in your church who has a heart and a passion for it. And maybe these tips can help them get it online. These tips can help them And what a great opportunity to build volunteers. And that's the great thing about it. You don't need professionals. They're not dealing with $100,000 cameras. They're dealing with everybody has a cell phone. There's more cell phones than toilets in the world today. You know, so that would be an encouragement too. is really lean on some volunteers to do this. Yeah, that's hugely helpful. Because one of the big questions that I get from a lot of small church pastors, especially in smaller towns, is how do we re-engage our young people? We're losing our young people. Our congregations are great. Mm. And well, there's one way, ask them to help you with tech, with the video for the phone. They love doing this. They would love to help you do it. And even if you go, but I don't have any young people in my church, but the people in your church have kids and grandkids. That's right. (laughs) So what if you took an unchurched grandkid of one of your longtime church members and said, hey, would you help me shoot this section? Or would you help me cut this little piece out of my Sunday sermon so that I can do a two-minute clip on YouTube? They're probably going to love the idea of doing it. And guess what? While they're doing that clipping and cutting and shooting of your video, they're hearing the content too. That's right. That's right. That's a great point. And you know, Carl, we all want to be known and we all want to be needed. That is, I mean, that is just a fundamental human nature. And so when you can give people a purpose and say, man, God created you for this, you have an opportunity to help to use the gifts God has given you. People want to do that. And I think so often we rob people of by either hiring a staff or not asking, um, you never know until you ask. And like, we're robbing people of the opportunity to use their God-given gifts. And you want to keep people at your church, give them a friend and a job, get them in a group, get them in a community with a friend and give them a job where they feel, whether it's parking cars, making coffee or following you around on Sunday, creating YouTube content, give them a friend and a job. And they're going to, they're going to stick with you for a while. Fantastic. Let's go to the lightning round and then we'll take a break. And then for our subscribers and our sponsors, we'll do a little bit of uh, bonus content about how to write better titles for your church's YouTube videos. So lightning round question number one, what are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? That's a, that's a big question. I think, (laughs) you know, this field that I kind of work in the creative communication space in the church world, I think probably I would argue has seen probably the most changes than any ministry with just the COVID and everything. And I think the biggest thing, Carl, that I always try to keep in mind, um, this change that I've seen is we've seen a huge shift in technology, but this is the thing about it. The technology, people are coding things. So to get search engine and Coding and technology, it teaches the machines how to behave, but our job, the way that we communicate it and the media through which we communicate it through is how we teach humans how to behave. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I've seen the shift is we, we're relying so much on technology, but we cannot forget coding teaches the machines how to behave, 
but the communicators and our means of communication teaches humans how to behave. And that has not changed, but I think we've gotten away from that. And so that's what I'm really trying to focus in and lean in on this season is thank God for the new technology. Thank God for the new software, the, the awesome ways that we can do these cool things. But we've got to lean in on the human side and we've got to think of the message has not changed, but the messaging is changing. And that's where we've got to lean in. Like algorithms have changed a lot, but human nature has not changed. Humans have not yeah. changed yeah. since the beginning of time. God created us. And I think that's that's where we've got to focus in on. And I think one other thing, this is just a little practical tip to kind of lean in on that is I think we've lost the art of using the telephone. Like I'm not that old, but I did grow up with the telephone. And I think, especially in the world that I live in where things are changing and we're, we got to update this social media, we got to update this website, change this graphic, put this on YouTube. How many times do we type and then delete? And then we type and delete. And sometimes it's so simple. Just pick up the, pick up the telephone and just give a quick right. phone call. Um, and there's like, it solves the problem a lot quicker. And so I think that's, that's something I'm trying to lean into. <laughs> yeah. We forget that. I can't remember what some comedian just recently said. Uh, yeah. The phone is really just a seldom used app on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. So true, but, right? <laughs> yeah. But let's, yeah, let's use it more. And, and I love it because I think one of the biggest mistakes we make with tech is that we start with the tech. Don't start yeah. with the tech, start with people, start with the needs, that's start right. with the story. And if you start with the people, the need and the story, and then you figure out what way to use the tech to best communicate to people in need, the story that makes the just difference in their lives, that's, 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 but we start with the tool and we think, how can I use this tool? That wrong question. Very well <laughs> how do said. I communicate this story to these people with this need. Here's the best tool. Yeah. Or here's the tool that Very you got well using said. existing tools. Yeah. All right. Love that. Great start. Secondly, what free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you would recommend for small church ministry? There's a ton of great free resources. I mean, I think every church needs to get Canva, C-A-N-V-A. That's in we the book. Use it all um, the time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's free or you can buy the Canva.com is amazing. The, the free amazing. alone is almost unlimited in its options, yeah. resources, I mean, and its user user interface is as easy as YouTube's user interface. That's yeah. right. That's right. And you can do anything you need, the video editing, YouTube, gener uh, thumbnail generating. Um, and then I saw the other day, um, Adobe Express now has a lot of free options. So you can get the Adobe app on your phone, and that's without okay. even buying the Creative Cloud. Um, so you can do some editing, some like photography editing, things like that. So those two are great. I would say too, I mean, YouTube, use it. Like there are yeah. so many resources. If you don't know how to do something that you want to do, type it in YouTube and the answer will probably be there. There's there's some even some great people that you can follow. I mean, a guy I would I would encourage churches to look up Sean Cannell. That's CA. I have him and I have a couple of his uh links to some of his podcasts in the book, but C-A-N-N-E-L-L, -L, I think that's how he spells his last name. And he has, I mean, he's a Christian guy, but he runs a YouTube business teaching people how to use YouTube. But um he's been on a few po Christian podcasts, even just emphasizing how important it is. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes as well for everybody. Uh, thirdly, what's awesome. the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? The best piece of ministry advice I've ever received was, I had a pastor one time, is every single Sunday morning before church, he would pull us all together. We'd pray over the service and he would say this every Sunday is, you can't come to work with a mood. 
can't come to church with a mood because you never know when this is somebody's last Sunday. You never know how, you know, you get in a fight with your spouse or your kids on the way to church and you get up there and you're on the stage leading worship or you're passing out the bulletin and you've got the sour face and they're looking at you going, whoa, I don't want to come to this church. You never know when it's somebody's last Sunday. And what we do is that important. It's life or death. It's eternity for people. And so we have an opportunity to to be a part of what God's going to do. God God can use us if we'll allow him. And so just, um, yeah, not having a mood when you come to work, when you come to church. I love it. I love it. And the last one, what is the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? <laughs> no, man. I've seen a lot <laughs> of funny things. I think I've caused a lot of funny, weird, random things too. Probably the best story, um, and unfortunately I wasn't there to witness this, but oh, my friends told me about it, is one Sunday, uh, the pastors, are they see some grapes like on the stage and they're like looking around like, man, where's the, what's going on? Where's this coming from? So one of the pastors gets up and starts just kind of like walking through the sanctuary, like trying to figure it out. And there's this woman in the balcony. She has a grocery bag full of grapes and she's just chunky grapes stage like for no reason like no rhyme or reason and the worship team's like up there singing and there's just grapes around and I mean this is New York so it's like that's a typical Sunday like just that's nothing new Uh, so the pastor I mean she has like her grocery bag just uh, you know just chunking grapes and so the pastor was like hey ma'am like uh if you don't mind like we're trying not to throw grapes I mean, we still talk about that story. A couple of my friends were there for that. And just like, I mean, that's, that's... it's just so wild. <laughs> wow. And they weren't even singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic where the grapes of wrath are stored, huh? Yeah. Wow. That is really no. crazy. Oh, that no, that's a good one. Yeah, just grapes out of nowhere from the balcony. You just never know, do you? All righty. Hey, a okay. um, couple of quick things. When If people do want your book, how can they find it online? Thanks, Carl. They can go to my website, sallyguillory.com. The book's on there. You can go to Amazon and just search for it, YouTube strategy for churches. And I would love to, you know, if I can help you with anything I have in there, I have my cell number, my email address. I wrote this book not to, you know, make money or sell books, but to help churches. So that's why I have all my contact info in there. I would love if I can help people with anything, please reach out, call me, email me, and um, I'd love to connect and anything I can do to help. Uh, that's great. And we'll put all those links online because your name, like my name is, li- is likely to be misspelled as spelled correctly. Definitely. So. <laughs> definitely, both, definitely. Both first and last. Both of us have that problem with both our first and last names constantly being misspelled. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today for, again, for subscribers and sponsors. Uh, you can find the bonus content that we're about to do about six tips to write better titles for your church YouTube videos. You can find that if you're a sponsor or if you are a subscriber to the newsletter, we'll send you the link for that. But thank you, Sally, so much for being with us today. We appreciate all this help. And I know it's going to help an awful lot of pastors. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for all you do to help churches. And I'm so excited that we get to do this together. Terrific. Oh, so many important practical takeaways from that topic. And I encourage you also to get the bonus content for it as well. Let's take a look at some of the things that just stuck out to me, four or five takeaways that I saw. First of all, keep your content solid and biblical, just like you have been, but now use it in a way that answers the questions people are actually asking. Trying to put ourselves into the headspace of the typical person who's online looking for things may be a challenge, but when you think about it, right now you're listening to a podcast online, which means you're one of those people. 
So we need to think like content consumers when we're uh, creating our titles and our attractiveness online. And we want to think like content creators when we're actually creating the content itself. Second takeaway for me was that short is better than long. Uh, People will stick around for longer sermons, not too long, obviously, but they'll stick around for longer sermons when they're physically in the room than they will when they're consuming things online. And especially if we're trying to introduce people to the church for the first time, short is better than long. Third, we need to think about what people are looking for online and how they consume content online. It is very different than the people in the church every week. Even your title can change. A title that works for people sitting in the church in front of you is often very different than a title that catches people's attention when they're scrolling through YouTube. So we need to think about both of those different places. Fourth, doing YouTube well is about creating what's helpful. You can have content that's great, but if you can't connect it to what they're looking for, to what they consider to be helpful, it might as well not be created at all because they're not going to pay attention to it. And what's helpful doesn't need a high production value. Her illustration of trying to figure out how to get into her locked trunk was a great example of that. It was simple, it was practical, it gave her what she needed, even if it wasn't highly technical. And for us, doing it in a way that's relational and simple is far better than doing it in a way that's highly technical, but cold. And finally, we need to answer the questions that people are literally asking us. I loved, again, her illustration about, hey, pastor, somebody comes to you with a question and has a concern about their life. Have that conversation with them, and then... Go into your backyard or sit in your car and actually answer that question to people online in exactly the same way. Um, You can do that in a way that's very simple, very quick, put it online very quickly, and then you know that you're answering questions that people are actually asking because someone actually just asked it of you. These are some practical takeaways. I really encourage you as we move forward with this. And if you haven't yet heard the bonus content about how to use titles better, I encourage you subscribe to our newsletter at carlvaders.com or uh, you can become a sponsor as well through our Patreon channel. And then you'll get all of the bonus content like the stuff that we're producing today for salary. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.